You can take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. What is unity is the question I want you to think about this morning. What is unity? We sang about it. Uh, we hear a lot of talk in political circles of unity these days. We should all be unified, we're told. But what is unity? What is unity? It's interesting, you hear, we should all be unified, but you don't hear too many people talking about what unified means. What does it mean if we're going to be unified? And as a church, we need to understand what it means to be unified as God's people. And who can we be united with? As believers in Jesus, the church needs to understand what unity is and what God is calling us to. The Bible speaks to this. And the verses we've been studying at the end of chapter 1 in Philippians lead us right into chapter 2. In fact, it's helpful if you th uh, try to remove the idea of chapter breaks from your mind. <laughs> because the Bible wasn't written with chapter breaks. Uh, with these numbers, chapter 1, chapter 2. Um, we could just, go, the, the flow should be right from chapter 1 to chapter 2 here with a train of thought being unity. What kind of unity is God calling us to? Paul began to address this in chapter 1 in verse 27 when he told the believers at Philippi that he wanted to hear a good report from them you can look at verse 27 in chapter 1, that they were standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is unity. What you see in verse 27 is unity. Unity has always been a necessity for God's people. It's also always been a challenge for God's people, right? Unity is not automatic. It's not necessarily easy either because we're all different. And that's by God's design, so we need to be okay with that. We're all different and that's okay. But it's because we're all different and at times we react to things we don't like with sinful Attitudes, we react with a sinful attitude or we react with sinful words or sinful actions, that makes unity a challenge. Unity in the church is a necessity. It's not optional equipment for the church. To be the church that God wants us to be, unity is a necessity. And we know this because we see this in the Bible. God inspired Paul to write about unity several times, in fact. Uh, think about these words from 2 Corinthians 12. You don't need to go there. Just listen to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. Paul writes, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may not find you, I, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. It kind of sounds like a parent, right? Saying, don't do that. You're not going to like the way I respond if you do that. <laughs> That's kind of what he's saying. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. He's pointing out a lack of unity. In fact, he's describing the opposite 
of unity there. Very good description of the opposite of unity. That is not what God wants for His church. To the church at Rome, Paul also wrote these words, Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. And this is a positive side of what, this is what unity should look like. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now we hear something in those verses that helps us understand the kind of unity that God wants to see in us as His church. Paul says he wants them to live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony. Live in accord with Christ Jesus. And he wants them with one voice glorifying God. God had taught Paul the importance of unity in the church. And we'll see that here in Philippians 2 also. God inspired Paul to make an appeal to the church at Philippi knowing that not only did the church at Philippi need it, but the church at Chardon needed it. God knows that we need this. God inspired Paul to make an appeal to the church at Philippi for unity. They appeared to be a healthy and thriving church. Everything we read in Philippians, most of it points to the fact that they seem to be growing and healthy and strong, but he doesn't want them to rest and take it easy. He, he sees a thriving church, but he also sees a threat of discord that he's concerned about, a threat of disunity. He sees a sign of disunity. We'll see this when we get to Philippians 4 and verse 2 when he writes, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. There's some discord going on and he sees the signs of it and he's going, trying to head it off at the pass, so to speak. He's concerned. So he brings this challenge to them to be united. And he brings it a lot earlier than he brings the other challenge that, that I just read there in chapter 4. And it's important. Unity is a necessity. This will always be a needed point of attention for the church. This is here for us today. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're facing great challenges of disunity in our midst. But I can tell you this, that where there are people, <laughs> there are differing opinions and tastes and, and desires, and Satan would love to use those to divide us. And God's intent is to actually use our differences to unite us and to use us in this place for the sake of the gospel, to use our collective energy and all of our varying tastes and desires to strengthen the church and to send the gospel further and deeper into this community than it's ever been. But this is always going to be a needed point of attention for the church. We need to hear this. 
God is giving an appeal to us today. Do you, when you read the Bible, do you think of it that way? That, oh, this was good for the Philippians. They needed this. You know, they, they needed to pay attention to this. And boy, I hope they got this word from Paul. But when you read this, do you hear God speaking to you? <laughs> I need to hear it speaking to me. You need to hear God speaking to you from the pages of your Bible. And I hope that you're hearing that this morning as we go, we're going to look at the text here in just a moment. So let's look at Philippians 2. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. And as we do, we're going to see that Paul lays out for us here the foundation for true unity and the call to unity as a church. God is giving an appeal to us today from the Bible for our need for unity as God's people. Let's hear it as such. Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2, I'll read from the English Standard Version. So, see, it connects it to chapter 1. Verse, the first word is pointing back to everything that he said in, verse, in chapter 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love... Any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now Paul is making two arguments for unity in the church. In verse 1, we find the foundation for unity. Verse 1 is the foundation for unity. Verse 2, we find the call to unity. That's how we're going to look at it this morning. So first, let's think about the foundation for unity. We find it in verse 1. And just as a solid foundation for any building is an absolute necessity, the proper foundation for unity in the church is also essential. I can't help but think about what we're what we're planning, what we're hoping for, what we're praying that God will provide for as we think about extending and adding on to this building. In a very early part of that work, and things were going really well, we're excited to see what God is doing and helping provide and, and giving wisdom for each step of the way. In fact, you're going to hear more about that when we have our, annual, our quarterly business meeting in a few weeks, quarterly business meeting. But very early part of that process of adding on to this building, there's going to be a foundation laid, a, 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 very, a, a very serious foundation, because we don't want the addition to detach from what's already here. We don't want it sinking. This place is here on a firm foundation. Um, a lot of attention is going to be given to a foundation, as it should. For the church... Unity is a part of the foundation that we need to give attention to. And when I talk about the church, I mean the people, not the building. Okay, the building's important, and we're going to give attention to that addition and that serious part of that foundation. A big part of work is going to go into that foundation. We need to think that way about unity. We need to work at this. We need to pay attention to this. The same thing is true for the church for the work that we're called to do in this community and in this world as, that we live in as a church. We need a solid foundation for our unity and we won't accomplish anything of significance for Christ if we aren't unified. Verse 1 prefaces several 
uh, spiritual truths with the words, so if. Now, in spite of the way that sounds, (laughs) so if, it's not like that. It's not like a question mark. Don't put a question mark when you read, so if. There's nothing questionable about this. There's nothing uncertain about what follows. These, in fact, are certainties. These are real. These are certainties which make up the foundation for unity among all believers in Jesus Christ. If we want to work on our foundation for unity, we need to pay attention to these things. The if clause here could actually be translated since. Since there is. Since there is. Since that you could think of it that way. Since there is encouragement in Christ. Believers, amen. Is there encouragement in Christ? Yes, there is. Since there is encouragement in Christ, and so on. The qualities that Paul mentions in verse 1 are very real. And they are actually very available to every believer today. Every believer in Jesus, these qualities that verse 1 points to, they're available to you if you're a believer in Jesus. So no believer, we can look at it the other way. So no believer has an excuse. You have access to these. These are yours in Christ. You can put these on. You can practice these. There is encouragement in Christ. You don't have an excuse. You can't say, the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't encourage me. There is encouragement in Christ. If you're not being encouraged, something else is going on. I'm going to suggest something else is going on, that you're disconnecting yourself from the encouragement that Jesus Christ offers. There is comfort from love. There is participation in the Spirit. There is affection and sympathy. All these are very real in the life of every believer in Jesus who is seeking to obey and follow Him. If you're seeking to obey and follow Christ, you should be sensing these things. You should be seeing these things going on in your life that God is working in you through Christ. So let's think about each of these for a moment. The Greek word for encouragement has the root meaning of coming alongside someone. You can picture this, coming alongside someone to kind of give assistance by offering comfort, giving them counsel, even giving them exhortation, graciously exhorting them toward the truth, encouraging them. There is encouragement from Christ. There is encouragement from Christ for all who are in Christ. For every person who is living by faith in Jesus He is giving his personal comfort and encouragement. He does it by way of his word. He does it by way of his spirit. And you you have both. You have the word. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you have the spirit. Your job is to take up the word and to read the word. That's why I keep challenging you and encouraging you. Keep reading your Bible day by day. Don't don't go looking for your Bible on Sunday morning because you put it somewhere last Sunday and couldn't find it. Pick it up every day. Read your Bible every day. Hide God's word in your heart because the Lord Jesus Christ will come along and, and encourage you with the truths of his word. There is encouragement in Christ for all who have faith in Christ, 
for every person who's living by faith in Jesus. There's also comfort from love. The idea here is that the Lord gives gracious and loving encouragement and counsel. Again, you need the word for this. You have the Holy Spirit for this if you're God's child. It's the same love of God that comes by way of this indwelling Holy Spirit that Paul mentions in Romans 5.5. And I love this passage for what it teaches us about the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I love that biblical word picture of the Holy Spirit being, God's Holy Spirit and love being poured into our hearts. His love being poured into us through the Holy Spirit, being poured into our hearts. We also have the participation in the Spirit. Now what's that? That's interesting. The participation in the Spirit. That's the eternal life found only through faith in Jesus that each believer enjoys through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you confess that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, God gives you His Holy Spirit. What we just read in Romans 5, 5, He pours the Holy Spirit into your heart. You're His, and He is yours, and you have the Holy Spirit. And this fellowship, this participation in the Spirit is that indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that's yours because you're, you're Christ's. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory, says Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a certainty. There is also for all believers affection and sympathy. That's the tenderness and compassion of Christ. But God has shown His love for us through the affection and sympathy of Christ. In fact, this is what we're going to celebrate with communion today. The affection and sympathy of Christ. We see the depths of His affection and sympathy for us in His willingness to sacrifice Himself for our sins. And we celebrate that truth. It's a sad truth, but it's also a joyous truth, right? We grieve at the death of our Savior, but we rejoice in the fact that He was willing to go to the cross for our sins and that He rose from the dead and conquered death. So Paul is saying here that there is encouragement in Christ. There is comfort from love in Christ. There is participation in the Spirit in Christ, there is affection and sympathy, which we, if we are believers in Jesus, are recipients of from Him in Christ. Wonderful. Incredible. That's the foundation for our unity. That is where we start. These are all incentives also for us to be unified and to love one another and serve alongside each other the same way Jesus loves us. This is what Paul is pointing to. He says, this is yours in Christ. And these are the things you're supposed to live out toward one another. This is what Paul is challenging the church to, as we heard 
in chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, he wants to hear of them that they are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What we learn here is that our unity is not based on uniformity. Unity in the church is not uniformity. That's not what Paul is teaching. I don't want you to hear me saying that this morning. We are all different by God's design. We are all different. And God intends, in fact, to use our differences. He equips us that way. It's not something that's based on internal good feelings either. Our unity is not necessarily based on our good feelings. Now, I'll be unified with you if I like you. That's not it. I mean, if we're okay with each other, we're going to be unified because we like each other. No, no, that's not what our basis for unity is. Our unity is based on God's love for us. It is based on what He has done for us on the cross, and it is based on what He is doing in us and through us by His Spirit with His Word. So there's hope for us. When I think of those kinds of things, I think, wait, where there's a tendency toward disunity, there's actually hope for us if we ground ourselves in the truths, if we Put, put our feet on a firm foundation of these truths about the unity that are ours in Christ. And then seek to live these things out toward each other as we serve each other and as we serve alongside each other. So there's hope for us. Every believer in Jesus has the Holy Spirit's presence in them. Every believer in Jesus has access to the Word, the Bible. And we have His help and we have His wisdom for unity with each other. Now, all that we have in Christ leads us to this, the call to unity. So Paul points to this foundation for our unity and then then he puts out the call. Listen again to verse 2. Look at it again. And the call to unity that we hear there. Philippians 2.2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Have you sensed yet that Paul is joyful? (laughs) From all that we've seen in chapter 1, you can sense it. He has joy. It sometimes baffles us because we think about his circumstances and we think, my word, he's joyful and he's got crazy hard Circumstances. Paul is joyful. And he knows the joy of the Lord as his strength. He knows what that's like to have the strength of the Lord to have joy in the midst of hardship. Now, the Philippian believers heard about his hardship. And so they're concerned for his joy. They're concerned about him and, and they're not expecting him to be joyful, so they send help and they send resources. They think they need to help Paul and cheer him up. And in, in fact, he turns around and says, Wait, wait, I'm not lacking joy. In fact, here's what you need to hear. And he sends back this letter. They're concerned for Paul. He's imprisoned and suffering, and yes, he is. 
But he's writing to show them that in spite of all his trouble, he's joyful. He has the comfort of the Lord. He has the very things he points to in verse 1. And so he says, do you want to know how you can complete my joy? I'm already joyful, but you want to know how you can top it off and, and finish my joy and complete my joy? Notice we look at verse 2 that Paul is not talking about uniformity. I noted it earlier. Look again. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Unity means being of the same mind. This is what Paul is pointing to here, being of the same mind. Now, what is that? If unity is being of the same mind, what is that? What is that being of the same mind? We should be unified. Here's, here's the beginning of our same-mindedness. We should be unified in our belief in the gospel. This is where we begin. We should be unified around the, the belief in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. The foundation of our unity is our agreement and like-mindedness in the gospel. Because we believe in the gospel of Christ, we enjoy, verse 1, encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, and the affection and sympathy of Christ. That's the foundation. Paul also calls believers to have the same love. So one-mindedness, one but also the same love. That is, he tells believers in one respect to love the same things. We should love the same things. It's, it's what the Bible calls us to. If we're to be like-minded, we, we need to love the same things. And how do we do that? The Bible teaches us all that we should love. That's why we center ourselves on God's Word. It's why we preach the Word. It's why we have classes that teach the Word. It's why I encourage you to read the Bible. We learn what to love by learning what God's Word tells us is the, are the right things to love and how to love them. If there's anything we're learning from the culture right now, it's that the wisdom of man will not give you unity. Is that any clearer to you? It's clear to me that the wisdom of man cannot give unity. What the world needs is to see believers who are unified around the gospel. The truth they desperately need to hear and believe in. Only the wisdom of God will bring unity. The same love, in another respect, is the call to all believers in the church to have the same love for each other. We're to have the same love for each other. We, we need equal love for all of God's people. Not, not playing favorites. No favoritism allowed. I mean, I think of... Parents who play favorites. Favoritism by parents where one child is loved more than another. It never goes well. A good parent's going to see the loving all their children equally. That's the standard for our love in the church also. We need to love each other equally. We cannot afford to play favorites in the church. Note also that Paul calls the Philippian church to be of full accord. 
The idea here is that of, that of living in harmony with each other. Again, I go back to that thought that what he's talking about is not based on good feelings. We like each other, so we're in harmony. We don't like each other, there's going to be problems. No, if, if I haven't rubbed you the wrong way yet, on anything, eventually I will, right? We all kind of are going to rub each other the wrong way because we all have different tastes and different opinions and different ideas. We need to get over that and get used to that idea and realize that God calls us to unity anyway. And it's possible anyway, even though we differ and we kind of grate on each other occasionally. We are not to let our differences of opinion or preferences hinder us from being unified with each other. We are to work through those things for the sake of the gospel. There's something far more important than our differences. It's the gospel. Our aim is to always serve together for the cause of Christ, not together for my way or together for your way. Our aim is to serve together for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel in this community and in this world. And we're to do that in harmony. We're to do that side by side, standing firm together. And then Paul charges the church to be of one mind. Or as the New American Standard Bible translates this, intent on one purpose. You're hearing our one purpose, aren't you? Our purpose here is, we could sum it up this way. Our purpose is to love the Lord our God, heart and soul and mind and strength. And because we love God with everything we have, we also love people. And we, and we want to take them the message of Jesus Christ. And we want to work with God's people so that the world will see Jesus Christ in us and believe in Jesus. God's Word is showing us the foundation for our unity, which is the love of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is giving us the call to unity. Let's hear it today. Let's not forget it when we, when we leave this place today. The call to unity is a call to love each other in the same way God loves us. We can see the evidence of God's love for us in verse 1. We can hear the call, the serious call to unity in verse 2. Let us not miss it. Let's not forget that this is what Jesus prayed for. Jesus prayed for the unity of His church, His people, when He says in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in Me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you hear that? The call to unity should, should help the world believe in Jesus, should give evidence that Jesus lives, 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me, says Jesus to God the Father. Here's why I want them to be one. Here's why we want them to be one as we are one, says God the Son to God the Father, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If you are not a believer in Jesus, you need to believe that God sent Jesus to take the punishment for your sins. That you, you need to believe that you're a sinner. You need to agree with God on this. God says so. It is true. You need to agree with God on this, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. If you need Jesus, you need to understand that you're a sinner. And then you need to understand that God sent His Son to take the punishment for your sins because you cannot take the punishment for them yourself and live and see Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead, defeating the grave and death and the devil and sin. The question is, if you're not a believer, will you believe in Him? And our job as believers is to help you see Jesus in our unity. If you're not a believer, if you'll believe in Him, if you'll look to Jesus and confess your sins and receive the forgiveness He offers you, you can experience the same kind of blessings from God seen in verse 1. It's wonderful. It is truly wonderful to know the blessings of God seen in verse 1. And believers, I encourage you today to examine your own life. I challenge you to examine and take a close look at your own life as to whether you're truly seeking to live out the challenge to unity. The challenge toward unity. To, are you seeking to be unified with your brothers and sisters in Christ in this place in which God has put us? The challenge we see here today. Will you ask God to help you with this? Even if you think you're doing what's right, will you ask God to keep helping you with this? I love Psalm 133, verse 1. It's a good reminder of how sweet unity in the fellowship of God's church is with these wonderful words. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. With seven sons is a verse I used a lot. <laughs> for brothers to dwell together in unity. But this is for the church. How good and sweet it is when brothers and sisters in Christ dwell together in unity. I see a smile on God's face when he looks at his church and sees this. Sees us striving side by side for the faith of the gospel this way. Let's pray and ask for God's help in this because we desperately need it.